Welcome to the Waterways World Podcast, brought to you in association with ABC Leisure Group, operators of higher fleets and marinas around the UK. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World Podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of the magazine. And in this episode, I'm speaking to Canal Boat Families historian Lorna York about both the social history of working boaters and researching boating ancestry. Lorna is herself descended from a long line of working boaters. Indeed, she was the first in her family to be born on land. And as well as offering insights into her ancestors' lives, she also describes the methods she used to uncover their stories. It's fascinating stuff, so let's take a listen. What's your own boating connection? I'm the first generation born on the bank, as they say. Uh, My father was the last one actually born on a boat. But the family go right back to the 1790s on the canals and river systems of the country. Whereabouts did they originate from? Uh, um, (laughs) Right. My father was born in Tring in Hertfordshire never lived in Hertfordshire. His father was born in Tipton, didn't really live in Tipton. My grandmother, my grandfather's wife, was born in Middlewich in Cheshire. Right. If I go back one more generation, my great-grandfather was born in Tipton. His wife was born in Northamptonshire. One more generation, born in Kidderminster and Tipton, and the next generation, which will take us back to the 1700s, were born in Kidderminster in Worcestershire. Right. But they also come from Cheshire and Derbyshire, so Midland counties, basically. Yes. And how did you go about re- researching all this, uncovering all the well, details? Um, I was made redundant from British Gas in the mid-1990s, and I went to um, do a BTEC um course on art and design and I actually got given a place to go to um, design fabric at um, Brunel University at their High Wycombe campus but unfortunately my husband had four heart attacks and I couldn't go so I diversified into doing a part-time course at Birmingham University on family and social history. I already knew that I came from a boat family, but I was told never to mention that. Wow. Uh, the, re- the reason being because there was a stigma because they were uh, they never had any proper education, and they were sort of a the ethnic minority of their day. Mm. So you didn't mention it. But when I started to research, it was like opening a big can of worms. I hadn't realised that it went back so far. And I hadn't realised that a lot of them were rivermen before they became canal boatmen. Right. That, that's an interesting distinction. Well, a riverman is, on, is, is usually a boat that is either towed by horses or it's a sailing boat. Um, so they would have another skill apart from being canal boatmen, which were all were pulled by horses at that point. They would have a sailing skill. Because mm. they worked the rivers, they worked um, the rivers that I know they were on were the Trent, the Severn, and the Thames. 
Right. And also the smaller rivers like the Avon and um, the, the Nen in Northamptonshire. Um, so they transferred from the river to the canals because that's where the work was. Yes. Would it be fair to say that there was a, a high level of skill then involved in river work? Um, but, you know, I'm thinking particularly on tidal sections. On that, they had to know the river, yes, that they worked, definitely, because of sandbanks and, and tides and that sort of thing. So there was a, an element of skill. It was interesting that you mentioned uh, the stigma of being from a boating family. And, mm. and that persisted in, that was still, what period were you brought up in, uh, Lorna? <laughs> You're asking a lady a race? Ha! No, no, I didn't specifically <laughs> ask that, did I? <laughs> um, no, I was, um, I was born in 1944. 44. So... so um, I I only remember the end of carrying, as I say that I'm, my biggest memory is being carried on my father's shoulders, walking the canal towpaths, and seeing all the derelict boats just left abandoned, which I didn't like to see. I don't know why, but I didn't like to see. Yeah, did you get a sense of how your father felt about that? Um, he didn't really mention it um, because we were on our way to the pub. <laughs> okay, right. So I guess he could could have perhaps consoled himself. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that was a Sunday afternoon walk. We either went, because um, I lived in West Strait at that time in Middlesex, uh, we either went um, towards London to my um, mother's sister's uh, uh, pub mm. or we went the other way, north towards Uxbridge, to the shovel at Cowley. Oh, right. Okay. That was our Sunday afternoon walk. <laughs> Did your father and mother share stories about their days on the boats with you when you were growing up? Um, no, my mother wasn't actually from a boat family. So, as I say, um, it wasn't talked about. You didn't talk about it. Wow. Do you think you were keen to find out more about your heritage because it was a forbidden topic? Um, well, actually, what started me off was the final exam that I had at the art um, college. Um, I actually took um, my ancestry sort of thing um, because of the um, painting and, and the travelling. And I depicted that in a certain way. And I actually had a, I came out with a distinction, which is fairly uh, um, amazed me because I'd never done an art lesson in my life until I started the course. Right. OK. So that was the beginning of my looking into my history. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I, I, um, all of the research that I do is evidence-based. I, I have to have at least three pieces of paper on each person telling me that that is the person that I need to be looking at. Um, I see. Because yeah. you can go down the rabbit hole and go completely the wrong direction. Um, doing family trees. Boat families were sort of an enclosed village. Uh, you have to think of the canal as a linear village. Uh, it stretches from Manchester to London sort of thing. Mm. Um, and every boat family in some way is connected by marriage. Uh, but they come, as I, as I said earlier on, that my family came from most of the Midland um, counties normally they wouldn't have met one another if they were sort of non-boat families yes because they were quite far apart as i say it was a linear village if you look yeah. at a village 
a normal village, the people within the village would marry the um, people they knew sort of thing and from similar backgrounds. And it's the same with the boat family. They married the people they knew who knew the job. If you weren't a boat person and you had to come onto the boat, living on a boat, working on a boat, it was a totally different world to them. Yeah. Um, so therefore you married somebody who knew what the job was, basically. Yes. When researching your history, what were your primary resources? Um, well, I, the, when I started, nothing was online. There wasn't anything online. You, you um, literally went to every um, county record office to look at, first of all, at um, uh, marriages, deaths, well, deaths are quite hard, um, and births to trace. Most people, when they start their family history, they just start with themselves and go straight back in mm. a line. Yeah which is the easy bit. And then after you've got all that, you think, well, what about all the other bits? So you then start to go sideways right. and pick up all the other little bits and pieces because as you go back, each, each generation doubles in size. Of course, yeah. So, um, and then uh, <laughs> as I've now got a database of 12,500 boat people. Wow. <laughs> Twelve and a half thousand. Yeah, but they're all connected, and I'm still finding new new families that I haven't done any research on. Right. And this one this week it was the Matthews family. I hadn't touched the Matthews family at all, but I've now got at least a hundred people to add to the database. <laughs> and what do you do with all this information that you've assembled? I do research for Narrowboat, as you well know. Yeah. I don't do much with it at all. It's there. I have it, and because I have it, I, I go, as more and more stuff comes online, I can then go back to each of the different families and add more information. Yeah. Um, I get emails from all over the place asking for information. So it must be like an ever-evolving puzzle, really. Well, you've got various websites that you can... Um, access like ancestry and find my past and heritage and i go i actually use ancestry and find my past um because each one has got different information mm. you can then expand on on that information because once you start family history you then find you've got to put flesh on the bones mm. now with boat people there's a lot of flesh to add because there's a lot of documentation. Because they were travelling all the time and carrying cargo, there was documentation for the boat, for the cargo, the fact that the, the boats had to be registered as a dwelling. They were inspected, so you find documentation on that. So you can add bits and pieces. I see, so that, yeah. that, that, that puts a little bit more flesh on your bone. But from that information, you can then look at censuses. Now, say you pick up one boat family and you look at the census of the, where the children were born. Mm. You can then work out which route they were on. And from the other information, you can find out what they were carrying. So you, you know, for instance, my father's um, 
was born on a boat in Tring. The boat belonged to um, a gentleman called Emmanuel Smith, who was a small carrier based at Brentford. So we're on the Grand Union, mm-hmm. or Grand Junction as he was then. He was baptised at Braunston. Never lived at Braunston, but he was baptised before he was registered. So he was baptised as they were going north and registered when they were coming south. So that that is just one instance. You can work out from the census the routes they were on. Yeah. From the toll records, from journals of inspection uh, and other records, um, boat registers, you can find out where the boats were built and who they belonged to and so on and so forth. So you can add different bits of information. Yes. You can then go to the newspapers and see whether they were up to anything naughty. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which occurred. Often? No more than the normal population. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If you if you actually took all the data censuses, you know, all the, the data that you could find, you would find no difference between it the normal population. All right. The newspapers, because they were boatmen, blew it out of proportion. So it's back to that kind of marginalisation. Yeah. Is um, the process of researching boat family history made complicated by the fact that the generations often had the same name? So you've got a lot of sort of George Smith... Junior, George Smith Senior, George Smith, you know, the names but, seem to just be repeated through yeah, the generations. There is a naming pattern. Um, if I give you uh, my own family, uh, we'll start off with uh, William Yarnall, born 1760. His son was George Yarnall, born 1792. Mm. His son was William, born 1823. His son was George, born 1856. His son was William, born uh, 1878. His son was George, born 1907. And then I came along and I was Lorna. (laughs) Was there a a Lorna before you? No. You were the first. Excellent. First to have your own original name. Brilliant. Yeah. So there is a name. In fact, normally it was... The first child, if it was a boy, it was named after the father's father. If right. it was a girl, it was named after the mother's mother, and so on and so forth. I see. Um, and you will find that as you, each generation, they've all got the same names. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Does that make it complicated, researching, or is there um, sufficient no, interval in between the, between the generations? Yeah, not uh, the... it doesn't really, um, until you get maybe uh, three brothers all naming their children the same names and if you don't really look at it and look that you know you can get them all muddled up is the process of researching boat family history made more difficult by the fact that a majority were illiterate so they didn't actually record any first hand not really um because if you go back in time most of the population were illiterate so the same thing would be happening to them it's just that the illiteracy carried on when the general population were being educated. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So there is always a problem in the early... Um, um, because registering um, births 
didn't come in till 1837. That's when the General Registry Office was started. Before that, it was always um, parish registers. Now, it depended on the vicar and what he heard as how he wrote the name down, because it was done phonetically, because the person telling him would know how it was spelled. So there's variations in names spelling as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, oh, why? Oh, oh wow. Okay. Even, even on my marriage certificate, my father has been put down as John George. His name was George. He never had John in front. But oh. I didn't notice it until I looked at the wedding <laughs> Did you um, gain any particular insights into the social history of boating? In what way? Well, um, I mean, I, I think there's two contrasting views, perhaps, of the working boaters. One is kind of quite a, a romanticised one, where we just picture them kind of uh, cruising mean, up and down. You mean wandering along in gaily painted boats? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it wasn't like that. They were the lorry drivers of their day. They were the white van people. Yeah. Or Amazon delivery drivers. They were doing a job. They were delivering the goods to enable the factories to do their job, whether it be making iron or steel or shoes or whatever. Mm. They had to deliver the, the, the product. So, and the canal was the M1. So they were just doing their job. And the faster they worked, the more money they earned. Mm. So if you could get two trips with 25 tonne of coal in a week, you got double the amount of money. But if you only did one, you didn't get so much money. Mm. So time was always money. So would they be putting in very long stints at the tiller? Yes, they would. You wouldn't hang about. Um, you, would do, you wouldn't do an eight-hour day or a seven-and-a-half-hour day. You might be doing 13- and 14-hour days even in the winter, because, as I say, time was money. The only thing that stopped them was ice, because if you, if the canal iced over, you couldn't get through. Of course, but otherwise it was very hard work. Well, it was no harder work than somebody working down a mine or working on a farm. Mm. It was different. And the family would be pressed into service as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you all had your little job to do. Was it a dangerous occupation? Yes, especially what, in the winter. What were the dangers? Well, if, if you can easily slip off a lock gate, mm. and you're in the in the lock, which was deep. Majority of boat people didn't swim. You could get crushed by a boat. You could get your your the rope caught round your arm, your fingers, your legs. Mm. You could um, cargo might fall on you, all that sort of thing. We did have. A, there was no health and safety. There was no health and safety at all, was there? We did no. have a piece in a fairly uh, recent issue of Waterways World about um, how uh, the uh, the number of deaths that occurred, or rather the number of drownings that occurned on the waterways uh, yes. during the working boat era, and a lot of generally the working boaters couldn't swim. Um, no. There was no safety precautions, really, were there? And no. um, so drownings, particularly at locks and going through tunnels, yes, were, were commonplace. Yes, yes, they would be. Because um, it's very easy to slip off a boat. 
did you uncover anything of that nature when carrying out your own family research? Well, the only only thing I really found was my grandfather managed to save his sister-in-law uh, from drowning in a lock at Stockton. Oh, okay. Which was reported in the newspaper, and he actually um, performed uh, what do you call it? CPR. That's it. Yeah. Wow. And he was commended for it. That's but, um, actual drownings, no, not within the family. The other problem with children on the boats was um, uh, my father's elder brother, who, of course, he never met. His mother was making toffee in the cabin, and the child pulled it off the stove over him. Oh, God. And this is in 1904. Uh, they got him to hospital. But, of course, there was no painkillers as such. There was nothing they could do for him, actually. And Toffee, it just stuck to him, you know. Rather a horrible death. Yeah, very. And a lot of children had scalding water um, accidentally poured on them from the stoves. Yeah, because it's such a confined space, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is a very confined space. Six foot by eight foot cabin. Yeah, yeah. One thing I've often wondered, Lorna, is about um, the accents of boat people. Mm. Would they, they would have had an accent, certainly. Yeah. You've got any ideas of what that would be? I'll just give you an idea. When I was working in the gas industry uh, in London, my manager said to me, how long is it since you left Birmingham? And at that point in time, I'd never been to Birmingham. Right. I picked up a black country accent from my father who'd picked it up from his father. So their accents were a distillation of all the accents of the areas they passed through. You do get um, an Oxford boatman would sound slightly different to a Staffordshire boatman. But when they sort of joined together in... um, work in the same areas, the accents would merge. So you would have a bit of Oxfordshire and a bit of Staffordshire, a bit of Derbyshire, a bit of Northamptonshire. Mm. It was a, uh, their own distinct accent, but you couldn't really tell where they came from. Waterways World has been Britain's best-selling canals and rivers magazine since 1972. In each monthly issue, you'll find the latest waterway news, practical advice on boat buying and boat ownership, reviews of the latest craft and equipment, a pull-out cruising guide to help you plan your next trip, first-hand accounts of Waterways Live, and insights into the history and heritage of our canals and rivers. For subscription offers, visit waterwaysworld.com, where you'll also find a searchable magazine archive, our interactive Ask an Expert Advice section, and our boat search feature, the most comprehensive listing of canal boats for sale you'll find online. That's waterwaysworld.com. I remember as well... um discussing and it's a bit of a morbid subject but we talked about the prevalence of drowning among working boaters but yeah it was also wasn't unusual for them to come across a, a, a dead body was it no that was a regular occurrence that was regular 
very the ha the canal was very handy to 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 drown yourself uh, when people were in trouble or whether they were depressed. They didn't call it depressed then. Um, it still happens today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but because it's very handy to throw yourself in the cut and drown. Yeah. Um, if you want to get rid of yourself, mm. some of them were accidental. Mm -hmm. but most of them weren't. Right. Um, some of them were murder. Some of them were heartbreaking circumstances where children were drowned. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason. And, um, and what were boaters advised to do when they came across a corpse? Uh, they were supposed to stop and report it. That didn't always happen. They would carry on until the next person that worked for the canal system, there's a dead body back there, and then left them to sort it out. Because, as I say, time was money to them. Yeah. They didn't know who the dead person was. And wouldn't, would it entail having to... They would have to stop and stay there with and wait for... the coroner. Yeah. 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 They, the coroners were quicker in those days than they are now. Um, it was almost within sort of 24 hours, usually in a pub. Well, the body was laid out in a pub. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the coroner and, the, and they would maybe do a post-mortem, that sort of thing. It was very quick, but it stopped the journey, you see. Yeah, it held the boat. They really result. didn't want to do that. Yeah. So better just to carry on with your journey and, and leave it for a for the, now the, the, worker to, to find, yeah. 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 Gosh, quite shocking, isn't it, hearing those kind of stories well, there? Yeah. In relation to your own family, what kind of cargoes did they carry? Um, shall we go back in time? Yeah. Originally, uh, canal carrying was in two distinct forms. You had the bulk carrying, which you ca which carried on, and then you had what they called the smalls, a bit like a stagecoach, where you had agents along the canal system, and they would have parcels to be collected as the boats were travelling. So the vicar of so-and-so wanted um, a parcel delivered to one of his relatives in a different part of the country. And rather going by road, and of course the railway hadn't been invented, they went by canal. Yeah. So a boatload would be made up of small parcels and small cargo. That was one thing. And the bulk cargo, which could be anything, timber, coal, salt, flour, wheat, anything, mm. as a bulk cargo, was also being um, sent through the system. But when the railways came along, the smalls, as I call them, <laughs> went on to the railway. The canal lost that trade. It no longer had the parcels for so Mr. So-and-so and that sort of thing. And the, the bulk cargo carried on until the end of carrying. Yeah. I've got my great-great-grandfather going down the Nen. Uh, in 1879, delivering grain to all the mills on the Nen. Yeah. Which, there were quite a number. Where was that cargo being uh, in, taken from? It was being brought up from London. From Brentford? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which had been transshipped from the docks to Brentford. Mm -hmm. 
and then transshipped again onto the boats to be brought up north. I've got my grandfather doing the same journey in the 1900s. He used to carry about 56, 52 to 56 tonnes on a pair of horse boats, one horse, two boats. So it was a continuation all the time of the families. Yeah, They would be doing the same jobs that their father had done and their grandfather and so on. How do you feel about that life, Lorna? Do you think it would have suited you if you'd been born a you know a generation previously? No, I wouldn't want to do it. No, <laughs> no. I I used to look after Sculter, which is a just for the for listeners. That's a, a historic is, narrowboat. Yes, yeah. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons why I wanted to sort of be involved with it was to find out how the how the family would live in a narrowboat, which I did. And it's it's okay for a weekend trip, you know, that sort of thing. But I wouldn't want to do it all the time. What was the primary thing? Was it the cramped space or...? The, well, the, sta- the space was okay. It was just, a, there was no facilities. <laughs> you just got a bucket and chuck it and a bowl. Yeah. And that's it. A, a water can, yeah. Yeah. And a stove. And yes. And... A bed, yeah. and that, that was yeah. it, wasn't it? That was it. Yeah, yeah. just basic. Yeah. I'm. I wasn't born to the born to it, so therefore, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, if you're born to it and you just carry on doing it, it's fine. You know, there's you know no different. But I lived in a modern house with the central heating and and everything else. No, I, I didn't want to do that. But you still have a lot of involvement with the waterways history and heritage scene, uh, particularly at Stoke Bruin Waterways Museum. What work do you do there? I'm a volunteer on the curatorial team, which means over the last over the last winter, as I said earlier, we've been re re um, interpreting the the museum. Okay, what and, what does that mean, reinterpreting? Well. Um, the Canal Museum is on the Grand Union Canal. Yes. Right? So before it was, you had bits of other canals within the museum which really weren't connected to the Grand Union. So what we've done, we've taken how the canal impacted on the village, who in the village worked for the canal, like the bank pe- bank's people, and then the boat families that came through the village and carried on through to Brentford or to Birmingham sort of thing. So we've reinterpreted, not reinterpreted, interpreted it in a different way. Mm -hmm. More to do with people rather than things. That's great. And I can see you you and your database being very, very handy for that. It was, yes. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's listening to this and they think they have boating ancestry, how would you advise them to go about finding out more? I would uh, recommend to join uh, one of the um, ancestry sites, mm-hmm. type in the name, and hopefully they're lucky and find something. You've really got to start with yourself when you're doing family history. You start with yourself and you work backwards. Yeah. So you've, you know when you were born, you know what your name is. You then go to your parents, not literally, you go and find out when they were married through 
um, Yantas recites on free free BMD, which is the government site to find births, marriages and deaths, type in your names, you would have a, a vague idea of when they got married. You then go to, hopefully, their births, and it depends how old you are and how long back you go. The first government um, index that you can look at is the 1939 ID register, which was taken in 1939 at the outbreak of war so that people could be identified and given ration books and that sort of thing. Right. So that they could get rations, food. The next thing that you can look at is the 1911 census and the subsequent census before that, right back to 1841. The next census to come out is next year, which is the 1921 census. So that's between 1911 and 1939, um, which will give people a lot more information. But each census gives you a different amount of information. The first one in 1941 was the first census that gave you the name, the average age of a person, their occupation, and whether they lived in the county where the census was taken. <coughs> Sorry. Before that, there were census starting in 1801, but they were purely numerical. Right. Uh, they were just numbers, giving the government the amount of people that were in a certain area. Yeah. All, all censuses are for is to how much money uh, they've got. The government has to help the people. Yeah, always comes down to that in the end, doesn't it? Eh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. What about the spellweaver side? That is somebody that has just taken a um, newspaper articles from newspapers and put them on a website. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you can look at newspaper articles, uh, the national. Archive for newspapers on Find My Past, you can find newspapers as well. On the newspaper site on Find My Past, you have a list of time, uh, sort of 1790 to 18 something, and so on and yes. so forth, up until the present day. You then have a list of counties. So you would do um, the, the dates that you want to cover and the county you want to cover. Then you would type in the name of the person and to see what comes up. You, there might be nothing at all. Mm. Or you then can, um, you might be able to type in their occupation. Yeah. You see, I yeah. normally type in canal boatman or canal, and that will bring up certain certain things. Do you know um, of anybody who's uncovered, you know, through perhaps meeting you, uncovered details of their family history relating to boating? Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know a few. Have they kind of dug up some interesting stories as well? Not really. No. No, just, just normal, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's fair yeah. enough. The best best bit about newspapers is it, you get all the juicy bits. Yes. <laughs> so all the, uh, as you've mentioned, sort of maybe incidents of crime, petty crime yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. well, my, my grandmother's father was sent to prison for 10 years, hard labour. Wow. What for? He was accused of killing two horses. Ah. Boat horses. Now, why would a boatman kill horses? Yeah. There was, it was all circumstantial evidence. There, there was no lawyer de defending him. Uh, the judge said he wished he could have whipped him. Correct. But 
I've got all of his prison documents, but I've also got his photograph, age 25, which is something that you don't normally get at, at that time. Yeah. So prison records are pretty good because they not only give you a photograph, not always, but sometimes, they also give you the height, the colouring of the eyes, the hair, the type of whether it's a, a round face or a long face, whether they're in scars. Yeah. Information. What did he look like then, this chap? He's quite good looking. Was actually. he? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> but he had three wives. Did he? Yeah, well, there you go. He's trading on his good looks, isn't he? Probably. Yeah. And his. Uh, his <laughs> Two of them big, his, bigamous. His criminal call. Oh, right. So he was. <laughs> right. So he really was a character, yeah. Oh, yes. I'd love to have met him, but he died the year before I was born. <laughs> What did um, boat people do when they weren't working? Well, when they stopped working, they were usually knackered. So they would, if they were near a pub, they would go to the pub. But bear in mind, it was what they called small beer. Most people drank the beer rather than water because beer had been, you know, it was good, it was safe to drink. Yeah, yeah. So it was small beer. Uh, It wasn't highly alcoholic. Right, okay. Um, They wouldn't have been imbibing spirits as such. Yeah. They wouldn't have been able to afford spirits. The other things they liked to do was um, go to the cinema when the cinemas opened. They may have gone to public baths to have a bath. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I know that the female volunteers... Um, yeah, well, the boat people used World to do it them as well. Oh, did they? Yeah. Right, okay. Oh, yeah. Or they did their washing. Yes. That was quite a chore, uh, wasn't it? Quite a challenge yeah. for... Uh, yeah. To... Well, you normally had a, a, dolly, a dolly tub on board. Mm-hmm. And you could set up a little fire under the dolly tub and do your washing, boil them up. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so you've got boiling hot water. But surely in winter the, there must have been a challenge. Yeah. Trying yeah. to dry so, wet clothes on yeah. in a you know in a moving boat. Yeah, well, you can always put a line up between the the um, the stanchions, you know. Yeah, on a boat. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and always, of course, when the engines came in, you could put them in the engine room to dry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. But, um, because they didn't read or write, so they couldn't be used reading a book or or a newspaper or something like that. Mm. Um, they would talk to one another. They would have little sort of get-togethers if there was a lot of boats tied up at the same place. Were they musical? Yes. And they danced. They loved to dance. Okay. Step dancing. Step dancing. Is that like line dancing? No, it's more like clog dancing. Okay. Um, somebody would either play, usually play an accordion. Yeah. They always had um, played cards and dominoes. You never pay cards with a boatman. Why? Because they can count. Oh, okay. <laughs> Their maths was... They hadn't got English to write literature, but their maths was phenomenal. Why? They could. They knew to the farthing, nearest farthing, how much they would get in pay. Right. And if it wasn't right, there would be ructions. Because of the, they have a skill that the normal population wouldn't have because they hadn't got the other skill. Yeah. 
It's like a deaf person is very good at doing something that a, a non-deaf person can't do, sort of thing. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Something else will come in to sort of take it over. Yeah. Since you were kind of the first generation to, to grow up on the bank, have you met any other people, any of the former boaters who had a similar kind of background oh, yeah. to yourself? And do you share a lot in common with them? I haven't actually met that many. Mm. I have met a few. Um, most of them are now dead, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. But that's the point as well. I mean, we we are losing as each year goes by, a kind of a connection with uh, the yes. working boaters who actually, you know, people, yes. is how can I say this? It, it, there'll be a time fairly soon where working a boat will no longer be in living memory, will it? You're right, completely. The people, the, the boat people that work the boats are in very short numbers now. Yeah. Uh, because carrying ended... Really, in the 60s, there was odd bits in the 70s. Sure. Um, but the actual commercial carrying as such with the big firms and that was gone. Now, most of those people would have been born in the 40s, 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. So that that's the generation that's going now. Yeah. So, yes, you've lost the knowledge of the skill that they had. Yeah. We know there's a lot of, uh, there's more than one group devoted to um, the history and heritage of traditional narrowboat carrying. That that yeah. still kind of carry on those practices. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yeah, there are. And yeah. obviously, museums like Stoke Bruin also play a very important part in telling their story because right. it's a fascinating story and it's very important to the waterways, isn't it? The canals wouldn't be here. If the people like Rolt hadn't written about them, the people that restored the canals that had been shut down as derelict, mm. like the K&A and the Stratford, they wouldn't be here. Yeah, All of the canals would have gone. They would either be roads or railways, and the history would be gone. But now, because of the people that decided they were going to be leisure, mm-hmm. not commercial. Mm. They thrive. Yeah. They bring lots of money. Exactly. What happens when a, a, a canal is restored and if buildings, houses are put around, those houses suddenly become mega expensive. Exactly, yeah. We uh, should be very grateful for the people who work the canals and... Uh, and the people that are restoring them. people who restored them today. Yeah, yeah. well, it's brilliant. Lord, I think that's a lovely, uh, a lovely way to end the interview. <laughs> end on a positive note. Thank you so much for your time today, Lord. It's been great talking to you. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Good. I'm glad it's okay. For over 45 years, the ABC Leisure Group has been at the forefront of the waterways leisure industry. With 15 strategically placed marinas around the UK, it has hundreds of moorings with modern facilities and a range of benefits. ABC also runs a successful and competitive boat brokerage business. See abcboatsales.com, as well as over 200 luxury hire boats and day boats. Visit abcboathire.com. 
Furthermore, it offers a range of land-based holiday accommodation, including waterside holiday cottages and caravan parks. Visit abcholidaycottages.com.